1: I do argue, and I will agree with you on this, is that we're a Christian country and that many of our deepest convictions that we just think of as absolutely true are, in fact, um, secularized variant versions of Christian teaching, which become, you know, rancorous when that that Christian underpinning is, is lost. I wondered
0: if we are correct in thinking that the United States, and for that matter, any other Western nation, any country that emerges from Christendom can still be called a Christian nation today, insofar as our laws and customs presuppose the dignity and value of individual humans. It seems to me this is rooted in the Judeo-Christian belief that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, and we are all beloved of the Creator, down to the least of our brothers. To find out, I asked medieval historian and public intellectual Rachel Fulton Brown on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odingetz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions. To explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue, this back and forth, may help us approach the truth and have a great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today my guest is Professor Rachel Fulton Brown. She teaches medieval history religion, and culture at the University of Chicago. Her YouTube channel and blog is Fencing Bear at Prayer, and her publishing house is Dragon Common Room. Her live-streaming weekly program, The Mosaic Arc, which she hosts with a fellow poet, Kiltz Kaplan, is something I've been enjoying a lot these last few weeks and months. It's a lively discussion on spiritual and literary topics, not in a vacuum, but in the context of the political and social culture of the day. COVID-19, Kanye West, now called Ye, the Pirates of the Caribbean, the Rings of Power show, and many other topics that we often chat with our family and friends and relatives and colleagues. And it's a really good show and it's fun to listen to. So welcome, Rachel. I'm so delighted to have you and honored that you are on the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. Uh, do you have a, a joke you'd like to share?
1: Well I, I, I don't do jokes. I think I do situational comedy and that you, you mentioned that we've been talking about pirates a lot on the Mosaic mm. Arc and I'd say, you know, you need to know the meme. You need to know, you know, the meme where Barbarossa tells Miss Turner, you um you best start believing in ghost stories, you're in one. So I'd say you best start believing in in mythological history, you're in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Miss Turner, that's from the Pirates of the Caribbean. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that she's Elizabeth um, Swan, although she's pretending at that point to be Miss Turner, which she isn't actually yet. And um, I, you know, thank thank you for telling people about the Mosaic arc. That's been a really wonderful journey that Kilts and I started this summer back, um, back in August. I'm, I'm recording with you right now from my mother's basement. So the, uh, you know, I become a true streamer. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that, I, that I'm now set up in my mother's basement streaming into the internet. Yeah, um, but you're breaking
0: the rules because you've, you've, you have left, right? Some streamers have never left their mother's basement. You, you have I,
1: I seem to keep coming back here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and what does your mom say about that?
1: She stays upstairs. She's terrified. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you said it's full of ghosts
1: it's it's oh, it's definitely full of ghosts. I mean I'm surrounded by ghosts of my own childhood. I can mm-hmm. see this um patriotic eagle hookwork little rug thing that I made, which yeah. is sitting on the top of I don't think this was mine. it looks like a replica radio with a cassette yeah. player i mean it's like that that you know we're we're sitting here in the midst of history constantly, and I become much more aware of it obviously when I'm at home but one of the things that we're trying to do in the mosaic arc is think about the way we're embedded in these layers of st- mean, Story includes both history and myth. And we need a better word for that. It's like, you know, whatever Tolkien mm-hmm. meant by myth history, we're, we're in it. We're constantly in the ghost stories that we find frightening and impossible and, um, when Barbarossa is saying that to Elizabeth, saying, recognize, no matter, you think you're living in this enlightened reality of reason where ghost stories don't happen. Well, you you don't escape.
0: Yeah. Yes. And we are surrounded by artifacts and we tell stories about them or we forget what the stories are at our peril. Um, and that brings me to my one question for you. I, have a, I often have a list of questions. I have, I have one question, um, and I think you're the perfect person to answer it. And it's an honest <laughs> question because I don't know the answer to it. Um, and my question is: Are we living in a Christian country? Uh, I think that
1: that's going to take us the whole episode, isn't it? <laughs> I think so,
0: right? I'm a uh, you're a historian, a medievalist, and I'm an early modern historian, and right. I believe that Western civilization is built. And I think we all agree on Greek democracy and Judeo-Christian traditions. Ideas like the dignity and value of individual life are at the core of all our political debates. Whichever point of view you take on them, that's the way you defend your your stance. The mutual responsibility that we share for each other, the love of neighbor, the stewardship of uh, creation and whatever we share in common. All of these things sort of pervade public discourse. And yet, here we are living in a moment when fewer and fewer people practice their religion, or believe in God or at least they think and claim they don't believe in God and they just claim not to do these things and my question what's going on are we still in Christendom how much has eroded how much remains can it ever be destroyed has it already been destroyed what do you think about that
1: well of, of course we live in a Christian country in the sense that we live in God's creation I mean, <laughs> okay. you best start believing in Christianity, Miss Turner, because uh, you know if if we live in, in if we live in Christ, if we live with the understanding that you know God created heaven and earth, that He became incarnate in the world, therefore entered into time, entered into our fleshly, um, you know, biological mm-hmm. incarnate reality. Then you just believe that. And so whatever we are as a political country or, you know, a collection of cultures or, um, you know, the stories that we, we're, we're going to be talking about as a Christian, of course, you believe that we live in a Christian country because you believe we live in in Christ, which is one way of saying it. But also that, it, it, you know, we may be falling away from our, our proper worship, but that doesn't make Christianity not right and not true. Mm-hmm. It, it just means that we've fallen further and further into sin.
0: Yeah, but maybe I should say, are the underpinnings of this American society that we have today, this, this you know, democratic republic that we live in, are they rooted in Christianity in a way that can never be? Can there be um, a civil society like this one without Christianity in it? Surely you agree, like, I don't know. Um, people living in the year 500 BC somewhere were not living in a Christian society because they didn't know any of that stuff.
1: Well, Even okay, so God's this country. is no. I'm gonna I'm gonna convince you we're in the ghost story by the end of this, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I chose that that joke. Yeah. Um, so no, that th- there there are two different ways of thinking about the the meaning of that that claim, right? And and I think the way you phrased it in your opening is, you know, culturally. All of these institutions that we recognize as, you know, critical in our the history of our government, our, um, you know, cultural practices, our education, and so forth, were um, instituted by people who describe themselves as Christian. Um, and, and so that, that's one way of thinking about it. Can, can we have those institutions without ourselves also thinking of ourselves as Christian? Mm -hmm. Um, probably not, but, um, I, you know, I have my quarrels with some of those institutions of themselves because they're Protestant or, you know, they're, they're enlightened and therefore already dissociating themselves from what I would consider, you know, the the, uh the fuller version of, of uh, recognizing ourselves in a Christian world, which is, is you know, medieval. Um, but I, I think, you know, what I was trying to say just now that yes. Christians, regardless of whether the surrounding society that we're living in is behaving according to Christian teaching, the truth is we live in the world God created. And I think I think when people get worried and they start blackpilling and despairing and saying, you know, you know, well, what are we going to do? Our, our country, our nation is falling. It's, you know, quite possibly going to break apart into a variety of of other polities. You know, all of these things are now lost. And the, the appropriate, you know, Augustinian Christian response is, yeah, it's the city of the world. And the city mm-hmm. of the world has these vicissitudes of power that we as christians you know kind of expect because as jesus said my kingdom is not of this world we don't expect any you know earthly institution government or 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 anything like that to be god's kingdom so in in a sense your question about are we a christian country well um no because there is no such thing (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah so to frame it more i i have the impulse that you know as people um as people don't believe or at least don't practice maybe they believe but as as they practice less and less and as they as they identify less and less i'm you know i'm i'm a christian i'm a i'm a jew i'm a muslim i'm a protestant i'm a catholic etc cetera, etc cetera, um they still want to keep the fruits of individual dignity they still want to keep the fruits of mutual responsibility and I, I'm tempted to say, like, well, where do you, you know, where do you think all this came from? And I don't mean that, like, oh, hooray, Christianity is a useful social contract. That's not what I, that's not the power of Christianity. And you're right. We know the world has fallen. We know the world, uh, we expect the world to end, and we wait in joyful hope, right? Um, but maybe I can ask you, because you just said something interesting about the Enlightenment. I think we have this sort of march of progress, this Whiggish narrative that things are always getting better but you think that enlightenment was a step backwards or, I do or would I think, you say say more about that
1: okay so I'm just gonna keep to the pirate theme because it, it okay. helps with everything <laughs> yeah um, so what's interesting about the the founding of the United States as yeah. a, an entity Perfect. right and I think I think that you know there's a, there's a slipperiness or a equiv- equivocation in the term country so mm-hmm. are we talking about the cultural, underpinnings of our Christmas celebrations next week? Or are we talking about the political institutions? And, and I think when you're talking about like dignity and value of individual life and such, my, my sense is, as you're asking this, is that it's, it's more towards the political.
0: Yeah. And this, and the, and the, what do you call it? Social fabric, you know, what we, what we agree on as the basics. Okay.
1: So then you end up in one of the long kind of narratives, um, the mosaic arc tends to take our listeners on, uh-huh. <laughs> which is, here we go, into, 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 the, into the ocean. Um, yeah. I mean, one, one of the interesting things about things like, for example, the Bill of Rights mm-hmm. that we look at as Americans and say, you know, this is the guarantee of our rights. Bill of Rights, that's a kind of contract. Miss Turner. <laughs> mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. other thing for Pirates of the Caribbean is when she's there in that little moment and saying, you know, but according to the code, you pirates are supposed to live according to the code. And Barbarossa famously says to her, oh, well, you know, it's, it's not so much a code, it's more like guidelines. Um, <laughs> what, what's funny about that, and, and I think Pirates of the Caribbean is the politically most insightful cultural artifact we have from the 21st century, right? It's, it's very interesting how many things they got right. Oh, wow. The, okay. The, yeah. It's, no, I, I, it's really, I just, it's really, just really confess
0: good. I've only seen the very first one of those, but so now I'm in, inspired to go see what you're talking about.
1: Well, it's so they, they ended up with five and I, yeah. I have to confess I only saw the last two t- two more recently, like this summer because I kind of got lost in what I thought was the silliness after number three. But by the end of five, you know, they have the nations of pirates going up against the multinational global corporation. I think <laughs> that, <laughs> the Pirates of the Caribbean knew what they were up to. But let, okay. let's stick with the, the, the question yes. of, of a thing called like the Bill of Rights. Now, mm-hmm. th- what's interesting about the Bill of Rights in the American Constitution is when it's it's an amendments, right? Those are the first ten amendments, the Bill of Rights. Um, they're actually added to what had been drafted as the Constitution, primarily at the behest of as I, I I think I hope I have this right in in detail, but at the behest of the New York delegation, uh, to the convention. And the New Yorkers were convinced that you needed such a thing because New York had previously been hmm, New Amsterdam mm-hmm. um, and, and, and it had been there. It had been uh, founded by the Dutch and the Dutch were in the habit of giving their uh, leaders, their, um, you know, stockholders, these okay. contracts, basically. Right. You leader guy give us these rights. They're basically pirate contracts because the Dutch, so the Dutch in the 17th century, this is in Pirates of the Caribbean. It's set in the 18th century. So in the period when we'd be developing this enlightenment ideal of dignity and individuality Mm -hmm. and such pirates are great at individuality. Yeah. (laughs) They're really good at that. (laughs) Um, In the 17th century, the Dutch were hands down the wealthiest, um, Entity in the world, right? The mm-hmm. the the um, Dutch East India Company. That's like, there's a, a wonderful visual capital, visual capitalist um, graphic where they're showing how the Dutch East India Company in 17th century valuation was would have been worth as much as the 20 top co- companies in the present day. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. they were enormously wealthy, and um, they they develop these bills of rights, and the English get them because the English in 1688, because the, um, you know, nobility and, and wealthy guys uh, mm-hmm. don't like King James the second because he's too Catholic for them. So they, they set up a, a sort of deal with William of Orange to say, you come in, will you get to be King and we'll get rid of that James guy who in fact runs away. Um, so James comes in, he's married to, uh, sorry, William comes in, he's married to yeah. Mary who his daughter, so there's some like hereditary okayness there, and guess when the English get their first Bill of Rights?
0: <laughs> is it right then? Yep, 1688. Yeah,
1: well, 1689, yeah. right? And and okay. so this is it's it's a Dutch sort of convention, which then of course the Dutch. In New Amsterdam, this is why, you know, kind of country founding we have is so important because these kind of cultural, p- political convictions stick with people for generations, very interestingly. So the Dutch think in terms of these bills of rights, these contracts that the the, the um, ruler is meant to make with basically mm-hmm. the merchant class. And that therefore, we in the United States end up with one of these things because it's modeled. They're Englishmen making that, you know. Constitution, but they're having to talk to these Dutch. Well, they're used to being Dutch by now. So the Anglo-Dutch by the 18th century, yeah, they make contracts, and one of the contracts is to recognize these rights.
0: Hmm. Okay, but that that explains the roots. <laughs>
1: Not really Christian.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that's an enlightenment idea that you, because that, you know, we emphasize here property, individual property, you keep it, you oh, pass yeah. it on. Uh, we are going to invest in this ship. And that's why the Dutch East India Company, Dutch West India Company, later East, English East India Company, why they're so wealthy, right? That's So this is a, that is, you're right. That's not Christian at all. But I also don't think it's, there is something in there about, uh, you know, your, your right, your right to own stuff.
1: No, it's, it's contractual, it's commercial, it's, yeah. you know, and it's, no, this is what I, trust me, this has been a, a pretty wild ride for me to be on over the last yeah. t- 10 years or so, because I, you know, I, I really started reading a lot of, I mean, I'm a medievalist, right? So maybe your listeners, will, this will help them, um, that my primary work is in devotion. And I'm very interested in, I, grew, I actually grew up Presbyterian, which is another layer of this American story, right? The the mm-hmm. uh, the Scots-Irish um, Presbyterians become very important, particularly through the Enlightenment, the Scottish Enlightenment, because people like Adam Smith and, um, and Adam Ferguson and such like that, their teachings become very, quote, American, because uh, Princeton, which is at that point the college in New Jersey, is the Presbyterian, like, um, seminary training ground. And the president of that college goes to Edinburgh, gets a lot of books, gets teachers and such in the, in the 18th century. So that we're an enlightenment country. There's layers of that as well. So I've given you this one, the, the sort of Dutch pirate commercial part of it. And then there's the Scottish common sense, philosophical, um, you know it, Adam Smith trying to make both economic sense and and uh, ethical sense out of these commercial transactions. They're still commercial, and that gets fed into our, uh, you know, political. I don't like using the image DNA because it's 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 more practice and habit, right? Um, w- particularly with the Presbyterians, and I actually grew up Presbyterian. And one of the things Presbyterians really do is study texts. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, the Presbyterian ministers were always educated in. Greek, Hebrew, and, and Latin, and and the, the Presbyterians go out into the middle of the, the 19th century American landscape like my ancestors did. I'm sitting here in my yeah. mom's basement. The reason I'm in my mom's basement in the region of the country we are in is because her, her great-grandfather was the first Presbyterian minister in this part of Texas. Okay. Yeah. So with those guys... I lost track. See, this is where we end up with monsters, and we get lost, and the pirates right. have to come no, save us.
0: <laughs> it's right. It's tricky. Which,
1: where you're asking me, it's still not Christian as such, well, right? Yeah, it's, but, but yeah.
0: To just just to, like I, I I I agree that that's like Jesus had very little to say about contract law and property, but he, you know, this is this is almost it's that's fine because Jesus also says, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and we separate these things like there's there's nothing there's no prohibition against being rich unless you're a monastic um, and to be let them oh, that's get rich, remind me re- that's let where I them was remember going. to like let them remember to bring their first fruits to the temple let them remember to take care of the poor and i don't know that much about the the netherlands but i think at that time they were probably still um, you know good protestant christians who probably took care of the poor and probably had probably had hospitals and poor houses and all the other things that a christian country has so I I don't think con- contracts are a problem. And the contracts we know exist in, you know, ancient uh, Jewish uh, practice, and we know that there was you know the Magna Carta like the, that. The, I don't. I'm I'm trying to get you to 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 say that all of the deep deeply held values, including those like. This, your neighbor has property. You've got to respect his property. Do not covet his property. Do not covet his animals, his goods, that sort of thing. Like, I think that's deeply Christian. Um, okay. Now, now seen, we have, yeah. no, okay.
1: that that's clearer. Okay. And I remembered where I was going with that. I'm saying I'm Presbyterian. I grew up with these sort of, this in this context in the country. I did not grow up Catholic. Okay. And yes, yes. And and in my own scholarship, what I've done is sort of t- take another kind of journey through finding the way medieval Christians read Scripture in their devotion and their liturgy and their prayer and so forth. And you know, the the more I study, the more I, I realize no, modernity is at odds with. And I think you're saying like monast- I can't remember whether you met monastic Christian. Modernity is at odds with monasticism. How how about that? Okay, um, and and very specifically, English modernity is at odds with monasticism because modernity for the English begins with Henry VIII's seizure of all the property of the monasteries. Yes, and that directly wipes out the poor relief. Mm-hmm. Right, so you know modernity begins with you know a great act of theft, which is the king seizing yes. all the monastic properties and that money to get back to our pirate theme is is folded into the establishment of the english you know gentry that, yeah. that the, those commercial those commercial families and that is added to in elizabeth's reign with the actual piracy of I've said this on our stream, so I'll tell you guys um, my own ancestor, like directly, <laughs> uh-huh. one of them, Sir John Hawkins and mm-hmm. his cousin Sir Francis Drake, who act as privateers for Elizabeth, stealing you know gold from the Spanish, which folds back into our Pirates of the Caribbean theme, um, and um, helping her set up her you know Protestant you know monarchy, yes. uh, and I mean Elizabeth has to be. Um, that's why it's interesting in Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the Miss Turner character is named Elizabeth, mm-hmm,
0: so mm-hmm. that
1: Elizabethan imla- imagery is quite powerful, um, that the the Elizabethans are behind the scenes of the development of both the United States and the way it becomes colonies and this this whole sort of economy of expecting the particular kind of commercial ventures that we have to pay out.
0: Yeah. Um yes. Um there in addition, what does the Enlightenment um take away from or change? I I how do I say this? Um I think I understand about the contracts. I think there's a lot of individual dignity and in, in respecting each other's property rights that is um Christian and Judeo Christian. Um I also think that um uh, you know like if you live in if you live in the people's republic of china and the government comes in and says like we're going to take all this stuff and we're going to lock you people up i think that's you don't have you don't have that sense like well I, what about i'm so and so people are not individuals um i don't think there's a constitutional guarantee of individual um i'm i can't i can't quite say this but i'm wondering what else did the enlightenment change and take away because i would argue that that all the things we enjoy, even people who don't think that they are Christians or Jews or anything else, even the fact that they say, they say like, well, what about my, you know, what about my rights? I, I think that's an part of the the inheritance.
1: It's I, I understand why you're asking that, and I'm trying to to help you get um yeah. sort of into the pirate version of this. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean that, that that we have to understand that. So one, I mean, there's another layer that the United States is pirate, is that it it really is a maritime power. And, and that's another of the things that we're seeing play out right now in modern politics. You're saying you're mentioning China and, you know, our our modern political um, dynamic is founded on the fact that the United States is the has the most powerful navy in the world. Mm-hmm. And that very, very powerful navy is basically designed to give us a certain economic authority or, or power. Um, so we're basically the Dutch of, you know, it's like the Dutch in the, in the, in the 17th century. It's like the United States now um, that our, our Navy controls all of those interactions. And China is pushing back right now against that dominance particularly. Yeah. Um, I th- so I, the thing is, I think if we want to get to, you know, the dignity of the individual human being, we're going to have to come at it from a different direction. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let me go back.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I emailed you first after I heard your wonderful discussion with um, Mark, Mark Bauerlein, I think his name is, on First Things about the Spice Road of today, and you were t- touching on many of these same themes. And in it, you referred back to one uh, a very funny essay you wrote, and I, th- I think you called it Three Cheers for White Men or something like that. <laughs> and I remembered when you were saying that on that podcast, like I remember seeing that on... You know, on Facebook uh, uh, back in the day and how, you know, and you're just saying that there's a lot of useful things in this inheritance that we enjoy that we forget. And we might say like, oh, this is a miserable, you know, racist patriarchy, blah, 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 blah. But it's kind of the thing where you uh, enjoy the comforts of, of prosperity and liberty and then you rail against them that you have them. It's almost like being, you know, a teenager. You're so mad at your parents, but you forget that you live under this roof that they have constructed for you, um, and that's kind of the the angle. I mean, I sort of feel the way you speak about the Dutch, and we should say about like the 19th century, you know, British Empire of Victorias, uh, they did control the seaways, and they did have outs- out outsized power for that little island. Um, but if they said, hey, guess what, we're going to abolish slavery, they also could do that. And so as much as you could be upset about them for their heavy-handedness and perhaps... The, the swagger of their, you know, their sailors in every port in in the world and why are they in charge? They could also enforce a, a, a morality that I think comes from this Christian control. And I think Americans probably do that too, right? You don't want to be a Somali pirate with the U.S. Navy around the corner sort of a thing.
1: Okay, now I think we have a description that we can actually work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and th- no, that that you know people start with the conversation about you know the constitution and the bill of rights and things like that and what you've just described is far more accurate as a situation. To what degree do we as Christians and this this is a this is a real problem feel it are ne- feel it necessary to impose militarily our understanding of the way to treat each other. Okay. That's kind of a problem, don't you think? <laughs> and what's it's interesting, ha- yeah. Yeah, no, and and, and and what's very interesting. So my three cheers for white men, I've, you know, I, I said, I'm, a, I'm in an ongoing journey on this and I'm happy that I've been laying trails. Right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, On the the journey that I've been on, so that one I wrote that in June 2015. The, the conversation has changed so many times, so many ways in in the in the now seven years since I wrote that. Um, back then, you know, it was mainly the problem on American campuses was mainly hey hey ho ho Western Civ has got to go, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, at that point I had not disarticulated the Enlightenment and particularly the like freedom of speech and the bills of rights properly. From the, um, I guess the monastic Christian, um, m- much more Catholic understanding. I, you know, I in my mind because I I te- teach them at the University of Chicago in a, in a single course, which is history of European civilization. But you know, they're part of the same story, right? But but one of the things that happens in that course is the first quarter is basically late antiquity to the mid seventeenth century, and the second quor- quarter is you know, the 18th, 19th, and 20th, now 21st centuries, and you realize that what happens in European history is it kind of folds in on itself, and that much of what was developed in the earlier period, which, you know, I say, yes, charity, the the hospitals and schools and um, marriage as a, a relationship that both the man and the woman get to consent to, all of that is complicated and sometimes undermined very, very, heavily in the modern period. I mean, if we look at things like, you know, what happened in the in the world wars, that's European society collapsing on itself.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: so mm-hmm. so I'd say that, you know, when I'm saying three cheers for white men, at that point, I was mainly thinking of the actual relations between men and women and saying, you know, I think and this I do think is absolutely part of You know, Christian, our Christian um, teaching, that Jesus welcomed women into his teaching in ways that nobody else in the ancient world did. Absolutely nobody. That he, that he, you know, not only that he allows Mary Magdalene, whatever her past to anoint his feet with, with alabaster, you know, the, the, breaking that alabaster and anoint his feet with oil, or that in fact, even in the gospels, it's the women who are the ones going to the tomb to find and to find out that he's, he's not there. And therefore women who are the first bearers of the gospel that he's risen, um, that that kind of detail is included in the Christian scriptures is enormous. It's enormously mm-hmm. important to know that Christianity the first witnesses to the resurrection are described in the earliest text as women, that that's literally unheard of in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, uh, you know, that we're taught in, for example, Ephesians to say men should care for their wives in the way that Christ cares for his church. That, that not just that we have consensual marriage, but that we have a particular kind of, Ideal relationship. I mean that in the Middle Ages gets turned into you know varieties of storytelling that sometimes called chivalry, sometimes courtly love, but you know and with difficulties in that as well. But that we actually end up with that romantic ideal. That I mean, you speak about people in China. I think that image of a, a the, the sexual relationship is strange to a lot of the world. Um, the other one that I said. Uh, so chivalry was one consensual marriage that was part. Women, women having the right to vote. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, that it, it seemed to me strange that there were so many women saying, you know, men are preventing me from do, doing these things. It's like, well, but you know, politically, men voted for you to vote. So <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure it really makes sense to be upset with them. And that was that was the very specific claim of that three cheers for white men. It was you mm-hmm. know, within the mm-hmm. European tradition grounded in in these christian ideals that women actually have the status that we do in the west is thanks to those those institutions and those teachings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I I think, you know, right from Jesus these are foundations that exist in christianity and and you know, those early women in the church who who followed him and learned from him and the ones that Saint Paul writes to here and there—that um, was a rare thing, you know. The fact that women have only had the right to vote for a hundred years is is astounding when when you think about how short a time that is.
1: Well, men have only had the right to vote for about one hundred and one years. I mean, oh, the, the, the you know, the, the, one yeah. of the things that happens, for example, in in the French Revolution is as soon as the. There are petitions made on the rights of men and the citizen. You have Olympia de Gouge saying women should have rights too. That the, the, the Christian tradition, particularly the Catholic tradition, has always very, you know, recognized the women teachers. The, the, many of the the great greatest saints we think of in pairs, right? Saint Francis and Saint Clair, Saint John of the Cross and Saint Teresa of Avila. That that you know we see these these spiritual friendships as a element of what it means to be fully in Christ, which is male and female. So all of that, yes, all of that is definitely. An element of of our, I mean, to say it's you know values, I think that diminishes it a bit. It's you know the, the sense of spiritual reality that we inhabit as human souls.
0: Yeah, um, in that same interview uh, where where you talked about that, uh, you also explained how you made a uh, another funny, um, another very funny uh, post or or, or article where you propose for your university a niceness and cosmopolitan creed, right? So a sort of a, a <laughs> That's secular, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Would you say a bit about the niceness, uh, cosmopolitan creed? What are we supposed to live, you know, what t- in today's secular time when everybody is, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, just be you sort of a thing, and you can't tell anybody which way is up and which way is down because you just define it for yourself. Um, you to, to me, Would you like to reflect on, on that? Because I thought it was great.
1: Sure um so one of the things I do what I do argue and I will agree with you on this is that we are a Christian country and that I mean, many of our deepest convictions that we just think of as absolutely true are in fact um secularized variant versions of Christian teaching which become you know rancorous when that that Christian underpinning is is lost and one is this claim about the the importance of diversity um, the Niceness Cosmopolitan Creed blog post. I wrote that when my department at Chicago, I'm in history, um, wanted to set up a statement saying, you know, we welcome, all, you know, people from all these different backgrounds as students and, and colleagues. And I was I was interviewed for the student paper about that and saying, you know, will you sign this? And I'm like, well, I, sure, why not? I know what it is, <laughs> mm-hmm. and. I point out in the blog post that that vision of inclusiveness of you know all languages all nations all ethnicities all all people is in fact what the church is it's yeah. pentecost it's it's the the recognition when Peter and the other apostles are preaching after they've been filled with the spirit that they are understood in all of these different languages and that like you say another you know great christian conviction is god enters into history speaks to us through Jesus um, and um, we as Christians are called to translate you know that into you know all of the languages of the world as the apostles effectively do when they're speaking so as to spread that good news and that kind of true inclusiveness and ethnic you know sort of diversity ironically is wiped out going back to the Pirates of the Caribbean imagery is wiped out by this global, corporate homogenizing that the, the pirate nations and pirates of the Caribbean, when they, they they're going to stand up against the English and their, their tea drinking English East India company. Um, there is actually a historical reality to that, that there were some pirates that captured one of these big East, uh, East India merchantmen at some point in the early 18th century. But that the, in the movie, the pirates that go up against this, this homogenizing East India company, represent their different ethnicities. So there's Mm. Chinese and there's, um, you know, French and there's Russian. I can't remember exactly which people say are, but for example, Russian and Chinese and, um, you know, the, the pirates are in in truth, more diverse than this homogenizing multinational company. And that, that, what I say in that niceness cosmopolitan creed, um, post is, you know, my, my colleagues are quite, in academia generally are quite anxious about this inclusiveness. And, and so they look at me and say, well, you cheered for white men. You must not want anybody else. And I'm like, I cheer for everybody. But yeah. I also recognize that as in the history of Christianity, the missionaries went out into all of these different regions and translated the scriptures into the languages of the people.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Interestingly, that preserves ethnicity rather than wiping it out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's such a good and subtle point. And it I think also depends whether we're talking about means or ends, because, you know, as Paul says, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female, you're all one. Uh, it doesn't mean that those people stop being Greeks or Jews. It just means that their principal identity is in Christ and in our shared humanity. And so th- once that happens, then all our distinctions just become a delightful. You know, the, it really does become Pentecostal. It really does become a beautiful garden versus a Babylon, where your little ethnic identity becomes the main thing that you are, and therefore puts pits you against somebody else in some kind of weird, um, you know, zero-sum cultural game. Um, and so I think in the Christian context that works beautifully. Like just like anything else, can be beautiful in the service of God. It could be, you know, any. I mean, I don't know any any anything. It could be you know power or sex or anything else in the service of God comes out beautiful, and then as its own. its own idolatry then it becomes something twisted
1: perfect exactly and that is the answer to the question you were asking me about isn't it isn't it possibly a good thing that the dutch or the or the british or now the americans that we show up with our guns and our swords and we say everybody has to be christian Mm. yeah yeah so no (laughs) (laughs) And what's what's interesting is this this is a debate that's as old as, you know, the European missions. And I I actually write about this in in depth in my first book, From Judgment to Passion, which in in its core is a a discussion of the way the Song of Songs, the great love love poem of the Old Testament, is used to talk about Christ and Mary. Um, But in the first chapter, I talk about the conversion of the Saxons, for, um, the pagan, the pagan Saxons, the Germanic pagans, to Christianity, and the ways in which the Carolingian monks, particularly, had to figure out how to explain the the doctrines to them. Specifically, in this context, the the Eucharist, the Mass, right? And it's a it's a problem of magic in in a sense that the the Germanic cultures seem to have a, a strong sense of if you inscribe things in runes, that makes them magical. Hmm. And of course, the Mass. There's no inscription. There's just the words of the priest, and the problem that the monks have in the in the ninth century is explaining to Saxon converts how that ma- how that bread is now God's body. Right, so it's like without inscribing it, without it being this this magical transformation. But in the context of that. Carolingian effort to convert the Saxons. You may be familiar with this. Charlemagne goes to Charlemagne, the emperor, is mm-hmm. at war with the Saxons for thirty years. I mean, including things, you know, to the extent of forcible resettlement of populations, and you know, forced baptisms. And you take these these recalcitrant, stubborn people, and sent, you know, take them down to the river, stand over them with a sword, and baptize them. Right? Yeah, yeah, and Charlemagne's own bishops, particularly Alcuin, who's one of the great English teachers that he has, a, Englishman, he's from Northumbria. Alcuin says that won't work. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You you must teach them. You mm-hmm. must you must actually instruct them in the truths of our good you know good news. Yeah, forcing them to be baptized is not Christian. Yeah. so it, to the degree that any imperial effort has been used to force the you know the transformation of of populations um as Christians it does it doesn't work that then that's that's just worldly Roman imperial force right um, sub subver- or, or, or
0: kidnapping or hijacking hijacking the the mission for your own self-promotion. Uh, we have um, Bartolome de las Casas in the 16th century in, in New Spain was a very similar figure who was like, this is, how are you going to convert these people if you're just enslaving them to get gold? <laughs> <That> was...
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And they're both, both Alcuin and Bartolome de las Casas are drawing on the same tradition, which goes back to Augustine. And yeah. Augustine, uh, he has this wonderful, this is Augustine of you know, North Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he has this wonderful, um, a little teaching pamphlet that he writes about catechizing and and how you know you have to translate, you have to teach with love and and so forth. But it becomes this this understanding that in order to convert someone, you have to understand where they're coming from. You have to talk to them with you know from with their background. You have mm-hmm. to, and I talk about this in this first chapter and from from judgment to passion. You have to take on their vision and understanding of the world in order to bring them into a proper understanding of Christ. And hopefully, I'm, I'm very happy, of course, that our conversation has gotten us to the point. That's yes. what I've been trying to do, that that my friend and I in the Mosaic Arc were trying to take you on the journey. Sometimes it'll be a, feel a little long and circuitous and meet a lot of monsters, maybe things that you didn't want to look at that are part of our history. And be able to see you know, see through different perspectives to the point where we understand, in fact, this, you know, Christ is, is true. But even our, our, you know, claim of, you know, ethnic Christianity is a potential uh, corruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Why? Because it robs us of the necessary humility to do this job correctly?
1: Yeah it certainly I mean the, the, I think what you said when you were thinking about pentecost that when people put on their ethnicities as tribal um yeah
0: uh, banners you know, not just, yeah, just a tribal
1: banners I mean you can you can use christianity that way it's like yeah, we're a christian we're going to make it it's like it's 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 just vengeance politics
0: yeah yeah that's really good for us to remember <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, you know, we 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 change and we you know, I have this weird German pagan pine tree sitting in my living room for Christmas. Like we we adapt and change. I'm sure there were oh, no Christmas trees. I, you brought
1: up time. your Christmas tree. That's <laughs> no, no, that's that's our next episode on Mosaic Ark. And I will I will foreshadow for you. There's nothing pagan about that tree. Oh really? Yeah, you can enjoy. I thought your this tree. was the
0: holy, uh, you know, the holy oak or whatever. That um, oh, I'm forgetting now. Is it Albrecht Boniface. who chops chops it down and?
1: Well, there there's there, there could be that too, but there's there's also. I mean, the reason that Christians have trees is because it's it's in in memory of the the tree of light that's in oh, the temple. Good. It's a oh, tree. Good. It's a it's a lady tree. They're 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 light. They're trees of light, and if you look at the furniture that's actually in the temple, therefore the furniture that's in Christian churches, candelabra, the candelabra in the, in the, in the, in the tabernacle is a, it's a flowering tree. It's, it's almond, almond tree. And it's got those cups of light, right? It's little oil lamps. Um, And that, that image is an image of, of, you know, it, it's, One of the things that I've done in my second book is showing it's an image of Our Lady. Mm -hmm. Uh, So trees with lights on them actually fit in in just as much in the Christian mythology as I I think. I think the 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 Woden's oak didn't have lights on it. Yeah, <laughs> I, kind I, of ornaments.
0: <laughs> I maybe I put those together, you know, from the winter solstice and the you know, sort of this festival of ice. So that's I always learn something from you. So there we go. I'm gonna <laughs> stop repeating the wrong things to my students. How about that?
1: Enjoy enjoy your Christmas trees. If if there's a lovely, lovely book um by a Jesuit uh professor at Georgetown. Um who also was the one who gave me the background on the Saxons that I needed for that chapter, G. Ronald Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the book that he did for the on the Saxons is he did a book called The Saxon Savior, where he's showing the way in which their retelling of the gospel in Old Saxon, the Heliand, takes on these different elements of um, uh, you know Germanic mythology and translates them into a Christian understanding. Um, he also did a, a lovely book on the Tree of Salvation and shows. The way the Scandinavian churches, um, in particular, use this iconography of the the, the, the world tree, and transfor, transform it into Christmas trees. It, but the thing is, there's trees, and if you get if you get the you know the Old Testament with the full version that you have in the Greek, it also includes things like Ecclesiasticus, which is the great wisdom text, and Ecclesiasticus 24 is basically a list of fragrant trees oh, wow. that wisdom wisdom praises herself as. So trees yeah. trees are fine. Trees? Okay. <laughs> Enjoy your yeah. Christmas tree. Yeah. No,
0: I didn't mean that there was anything wrong with it. I just meant that we adapt and we change forms, even though the spirit, you know, that we, we take on new external things while we keep the internal solid. But as you say, the main thing is to keep the internal correct and oriented in the right direction and um, always put God in the first place, and then you'll be, everything else will fall into place after that.
1: Well, and you you said it properly too. It's like in insofar as we celebrate... Our ethnicity, our languages, our cultures—as Christians—they become fruitful and joyous. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if we forget Christ in our celebration of our ethnicities and cultures, they become rancorous and poisonous, and we become at odds with each other. I mean, that—that yeah. that it's the city of God or the city of the world, and the materials that we're using for both. That the main difference is whether or not we're oriented in our praise of our Creator, or we're looking at ourselves and thinking, and that's why the Enlightenment's a problem, right? You're looking at ourselves and thinking we can fix everything with our reason and our technology and our yes. contract.
0: Yes, I think that is a very important point that we sort of think like this is the march of progress. Oh, great. Now we know about gravity. Oh, great. Now we know about this and that. But it's put the humans, every time the humans are the answer for everything, you start ending up with the terror of the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution or something else like that you think Precisely. the Americans were able to keep God in, you know, first place? I think Do you think they still do? Do you think they did in the beginning?
1: That's so we need another podcast for that. Yeah, that's true. Um, and we
0: can we can leave that for next time too. Anyway.
1: <laughs> so, no, that's if 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 your if your listeners want to find some I've done a, a series of posts on the blog that were actually tagged, they're linked to the three cheers for whiteman. Um because I did some on chivalry, but I also did some on the different subcultures of the American colonies uh, that I got from reading David Hackett Fisher's Albion Seed. And, you know, even to say are they English is a complicated problem because there are different subsets of folkways and you know language language ways building and such that come from different regions of England I, the 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 joy that one should get from studying history is the story is the story is the ghost story that you're already in and you know, <laughs> it's it's actually it just gets more and more fun but you know it's terror it's horror insofar as it's not focused on Christ and yeah. and that i think is we nobody gets to be the good guys in this unless we are on our knees before the cross and then mm. we know we're bad guys because we're full of sin <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, uh, Amen. Well, that's a beautiful place to to stop. Uh, would well, first of all, thank you so much for for giving me this time and for answering the question and for and all your work and the Mosaic Ark, which I continue to enjoy. And second of all, would you like to close us with a blessing? Okay.
1: So I ha- what I say in my own prayer is um, the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the, in the Latin, and I'm looking at this with some prayers. There's optional prayers after the office, and I thought the, the, one of the prayers after the office might, might fit here, us here. Um, to the most holy and undivided Trinity, to the manhood of our crucified Lord Jesus Christ, to the fruitful virginity of the most blessed and glorious Mary ever, Virgin, to the entire assembly of the saints, be ascribed everlasting praise, honor, power, and glory by every creature, and to us be granted the remission of all our sins, world without end. Amen. Amen. Nails, spears, shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the Word made flesh, the babe, the Son.
0: Odinitz and Rachel Fulton-Brown recorded this conversation on Friday, December 16, 2022. The Feast of St. Adelaide of Italy, the 10th century Empress of the Holy Roman Empire, and wife of Otto the Great. It's also the feast day of the Old Testament prophet Haggai, who lived in the 6th century before Christ. Our music comes from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, The Dominican Dog Carrying the Torch, comes from the website of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odeniets. I would love to hear from you at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I'll talk to you soon, and I wish you a Merry Christmas.
1: This This is Christ the King, whom shepherds, God, and angels sing.